Hello. Thank you for listening to our podcast today. We hope that you will be encouraged and it builds your faith. Thanks for listening. Have special rights, or why should churches be looked at any different than any other institution? And what makes what makes us or the world or what what makes us think that churches uh, uh, are any more uh, important than anything else in our society? And it was a real attack on the fact that I could tell, you know, sometimes you hear people talk and you can tell they got church wounds. You know, somebody's hurt them, a pastor's hurt them, a church has hurt them. You can just hear it come out in, their, in, their, in the way that they talk. And, and, uh, uh, and it's, it's a woundedness. You could just, I could just feel in my spirit that he, that he was wounded uh, in his spirit and needed healing. And I just prayed for him as he spoke. I just said, God, I'd let healing come on his heart, open his eyes that he might see the value of who you are in our society and in our culture. Because folks, Jesus is everything. And he is, he's the prince of peace. He's the only one that can bring peace. And so uh, pray for our leaders as we thank God for who they are. If you would look at the book of Revelation chapter 7, that's where we're going to be tonight. And uh, uh, Revelation 7 reminds us that we... Uh, may be living in what we call the rapture generation, the last generation of the church age. And uh, we may very well be the last generation of the church age. We may be the generation that sees the return of the Lord and the rapture of the church. And, uh, and the church, the last generation of the church age. But if that is so, we need to be ready. And uh, that means that we need to be active and intentional about serving and soul winning. That means that we need to be active and intentional about serving and soul winning because the blessed hope is not an incentive to rest but to work. The incentive of the blessed hope of the return of the Lord uh, is not that we should just rest, but it's the fact that we should work and realize that Jesus is coming soon. And as Jesus himself said, we are to occupy until he comes. This does not mean that we are to simply take up space, but we are to get busy and do the work of the Lord. And through the book of Revelation, we know what the future holds, and we should be ready to serve uh, at this moment. When our future is secure, we can put all our energy into the present. When we know what the future is, we can be secure and putting all of our energy into the present because we know what is coming, and what's going to happen. As I read through chapter 7 over and over again this week and, and read through it, there's a, a phrase came to my mind and I couldn't get it out. And as I read through this chapter and began to see, uh, I thought of the phrase, what a mighty God we serve. Who can agree tonight with what a mighty God we serve tonight? We serve a mighty God and how many know there's nothing that's too hard for God to do? I mean that. There's nothing that's too hard for God to do. And we know that God is a mighty God. This is a wonderful chapter. And uh, we have studied chapter 6. We studied the beginning of the seven seals. We begin to see uh, the opening of the seven seals. Uh, we have the... Uh, here on the chart here, you see the big blue line here, which is the rapture of the church. 
And after the rapture of the church, we see the beginning of the tribulation period. And chapter 6 is, is about the great tribulation and the beginning of that tribulation period. Uh, we begin to see that after the rapture of the church. And the seven seals are beginning to open. And we opened six of those seals um, uh, last week. And of course, the seventh seal has not been opened yet. Chapter 7 is an intermission or a, uh, 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 where God puts a parenthesis between six and seven, and, uh, and it's almost as a uh, just kind of a moment of rest before God opens the seventh seal, which begins in chapter eight, but not only the seventh seal, um, uh, but also the opening of the seven trumpets and bowls, uh, which will also be poured out that we will see. But there is this, this almost this break in between the opening of these seals. And I told you that we serve a mighty God. Uh, Genesis 18, 14 says, Is there anything that is too hard for God to do? Jeremiah 32, 17 says, uh, You made the heavens and earth by your great power. Is there nothing hard for you? And so tonight, if you have, uh, if you have uh, whatever problem you have or difficulty or whatever tears you have tonight or whatever problems you have tonight, you can rest in the place that the God who made the heavens and the earth by his great power, that there is nothing too hard for him to do. If he's the God of creation and the God who set the boundaries for all of creation, there's nothing too hard for God to do. Our great God is able to meet all your needs tonight. And in Revelation 7, describes this great revival that takes place. It's an amazing thing. As I begin to look into this and study into this, I, I thought it was amazing. And, and really what we see here in chapter 7 is we see this great gathering, one of the greatest gathering of souls, one of the greatest harvest of all times. This revival will take place during the Great Tribulation. Now, in the interesting, in the middle of the Great Tribulation, there's an outpouring of God's Spirit and a great revival that takes place. And we see that here in this chapter, that this revival takes place during the Great Tribulation. Great multitudes will be saved at this time because of God's mighty, miracle-working power. Revelation shows us uh, how mighty God is. Who would think that in the middle of the Great Tribulation, in this great outpouring of judgment, where there's this antichrist that is beginning to rule the world, uh, where the hostility towards God is at its highest, where uh, chaos is at its highest, in the midst of all of this, God decides to pour out his spirit in the middle of it and defy all that is going on and move by his spirit in the middle of the tribulation, and all of a sudden God begins to pour out a great revival in the midst of all of this. And I want us to see here in chapter 7, it, I want us to see three things about the mightiness of God in, the, in this chapter that there's nothing too hard for God to do. And so what we see in this chapter, we also can see in our own lives for God to do in our own lives tonight, and it can happen also in us tonight. 
because there's nothing too hard for God as it, for our God is all powerful and there's nothing that's too hard for him. Number one, I want us to see tonight that there is no promise too hard for God to keep. Y'all believe that tonight? There's no promise too hard for God to keep. I want us to begin to look tonight. There are over 30,000 promises in the Bible and every one of them are kept in the Lord Jesus Christ. Let's begin to look at this chapter, begin to look at verse 1 of this chapter. After these things, I saw four angels standing at the four corners of the earth, holding the four winds of the earth, that the wind should not blow on the earth, on the sea, or on any tree. And so what we begin to see, all of a sudden, judgment is being poured out, and all of a sudden, God puts a restraint on that judgment. These angels that are at the four corners of the earth that are allowing judgment to be poured out, all of a sudden, suddenly God stops it. God puts a restraint on it. By a decree of God, the activity of these angels that are allowing judgment to be poured out, God silenced them. The stillness of human affairs takes place in the middle of this judgment. Now on the earth, as this ongoing judgments are being released, as we've seen in chapter 6, is horrific. And all of a sudden, there's this calm, there's this stillness that takes place. Now, I don't know what that's going to look like or what that's going to be like in the tribulation, but I got to thinking about the day that there's probably going to be some politician that's going to take credit for the stilling of what's happening in the midst of all of that judgment. I could see someone taking credit that something they did or something that they have uh, uh introduced or done has caused a calm or a stillness on the earth or a peace or what they would call somebody's going to take credit for that and be worshiped for that. And, and so there's this stillness that happens. Now the Bible tells us there that I saw four angels standing at the four corners of the earth. The four corners of the earth in this passage refers to the four points of compasses of course, the north, the south, the east, and the west. And it, they hold back the winds. The word for winds here really means the winds of disaster or danger. And so what we see is we have these angels that are holding back judgment, that are holding back the disaster. Uh, and, and so in the midst of this, there's this pause, there's this stillness in human affairs. The beginning of this chapter. And so you say, well, pastor, why do you say uh, that there's no promise too hard for God to keep? Why do you say that? Why do you say that's number one? Why do you open with that? Well, if you would turn with me to the book of Genesis chapter 12, the book of Genesis chapter 12, we're going to be through some scripture tonight and I'll try to go quickly. Uh, Genesis chapter 12, beginning in verses one through three, I want to read this to you. I want to read this promise to you that um, God gives Abraham, and now the Lord said to Abraham, get out of your country, from your family, and from your father's house to the land that I will show you. I will make you a great nation, and I will bless you and make your name great, and you shall be a blessing, and I will bless those that bless you. I will curse those that bless you. 
and in you all the families of the earth shall be blessed. You all hear that promise? It's, it's telling Abraham that through him all the nations of the earth shall be blessed. That is a promise. All the families of the earth will be blessed through Abraham. And so what we see happening in chapter 7 of Revelation bears that witness to this promise that is given to Abraham in in Genesis chapter 12. God is going to work through 144,000 Israelites. God made this promise to Abraham uh, 2,000 years before John wrote it, and of course 4,000 years from the time of now, now God will give will keep his promise to them. If you would turn to Numbers chapter 23 and verse 19. Numbers 23 and verse 19. Numbers 23 and verse 19 says, God is not a man that he should lie, nor the son of man that he should repent. Has he said and he will not has he said and he will not do or has he spoken and we will not make it good in other words is God a man that he should lie is God a, the a son of man that he should repent how many know God will not lie and God will not have to repent God made a promise in the early part of the Bible and now we see in Revelation chapter 7 At the last part of the Bible, we see the fulfillment of this promise that is given to Abraham. 144,000 Israelites from various tribes are now serving the Lord in a special way. And in chapter 7, what we see is this revival that comes among the nation of Israel. And so what we see is uh, this 144,000 who come to to. who come to Christ, and it said, I heard, verse 4, I heard a number of those who were sealed, 144,000 of all the tribes of the children of Israel. And so we see these 144,000 that are being sealed that come to God, uh, and they come to God, and, and they are, once they come to God, they are sealed by God, And they've been sealed by God for a specific purpose, for God to use them. Now, we know that this is is Israel, and this is not the New Testament church. Uh, In a sense, uh, the church is spiritual Israel, in a sense. But God has never done away with literal Israel. God has never gotten rid of the literal Israel. The nation of Israel will not ever be destroyed. God will keep his promise to his chosen people. So who are these 144,000? These 144,000, they are Jews. They are Jews. Now there are some teachings out there that believe that Israel lost all of its spiritual blessing and all of the spiritual blessing has gone into the church into the New Testament church, and they don't believe uh, they don't believe in a millennial kingdom. They're all millennialist, and they they believe the promises of Israel belong to the church, but the curses of Israel belong to the Jews. And so we know that that is not true. 
And we know that these 144,000, these are Jews, all of the tribe of the children of Israel. And so we see that. We see that these are all part of the children of Israel. We see the list of that in verses 5 through the end of verse 8. We see the tribes that are mentioned there, that 12,000 were sealed out of each tribe. Now, I want us to see three things here. One is, I want us to see, first of all, that they were selected. These are special ones selected out of the Jewish people um, to serve and sealed that these are selected group. You say, well, why 144,000? And I believe there are, uh, you know, some, some interest there. As I begin to look at this and begin to see this, if you remember, I told you this, one of the sermons that I preached earlier was on numbers. If you were here, you remember that. And you remember that when we look at numbers, we have to understand that there is a, uh, there's a symbolic meaning to the 144,000 here in the book of Revelation. Now, if you remember, four is the number of earth. Is that right? We said four is the number of the earth. It said that the, uh, the angels will wear at the four corners of the earth. Four is the number of the earth. Three is the divine number. And so four and three, four times three is uh, 12. Twelve represents heaven and earth, the rule of God on earth. So if you remember, 12 is God's governmental number on earth. So four represents the earth. Three is the divine number. Four times three is 12. And there are 12 patriarchs of the Old Testament. And there are 12 apostles in the New Testament. And so, uh, and so we have 12 is the number of God's government on earth. Um, and 144 is what? is 12 times 12 is 144. In other words, God has taken his government and has intensified it. In other words, this is a picture of God's government being intensified. 144,000 is 12 times 12. 12 patriarchs of the Old Testament, 12 apostles of the New Testament, them being multiplied speaks of the intensifying of God's a government, his earthly government and his heavenly government being intensified. And so 10 is the number of completion or the number of completeness. In other words, you have 10 fingers and 10 toes. Those are numbers of completeness. So 10 times 10 times 10 is a thousand. God has taken his completeness and intensified it and the 144,000 are, are a symbolic message that this is the rule of God in fullness and power. It's God's fullness and power being poured out on the earth. And that is the symbolic meaning of the 144,000. It is a complete number. So these are those who were selected. Uh, uh, and it's full of symbolism. And we do believe that this is a literal number not just full of symbolism that in the tribulation there will be 144,000 of those who will be selected and these will, will begin to preach the gospel on the earth. And so not only are they selected, but number two, they are sealed. 
And so they are selected, the 144,000 are selected out of the tribes of Israel, but then there are those who are sealed. Revelation chapter 7, verse 2. Then I saw another angel ascending from the east, having the seal of the living God, and he cried with a loud voice to the four angels to whom it was granted to uh, who was granted to harm the earth and the sea, saying, do not harm the earth and the sea or the trees till we have sealed the servants of God on their foreheads. And so not only were these 144,000 selected out of the tribes, but they were been sealed. There is a seal. God's seal has come upon them. And so we see that this 144,000, there was a seal that was put on them. And this seal was put on them. A seal is a mark of ownership. And in Bible times, a seal stood for three things in Scripture. We see a seal stands for three things. It stands for one, for possession. It shows possession. It shows protection. And it shows preservation. And so there's been a seal that has been put on these 144,000 of those who have been selected out of the tribe of Israel, and this 144,000 will be preaching the gospel. It's going to be 144,000 apostle Pauls, as you would say, that'll be preaching the gospel right dab in the middle of the tribulation. How wonderful is our God? How powerful is our God? And so we sealed it, but you and the scripture tells us that you and I have been sealed. Not just, not just them, but we have a New Testament promise of being sealed. In, in Ephesians chapter 4, verse 30, it says, Grieve not the Holy Spirit, whereby you are sealed uh, till this day unto redemption. You are sealed by the Holy Spirit. 2 Timothy 2.19, it says that we are, we are, we are sealed uh, also. I'm going to read that actually to you. 2 Timothy 2.19 2 Timothy 2.19 says, nevertheless, that's an interesting word, nevertheless means in spite of, and really what it means is is what has been previously talking about, uh, which has been in spite of the devil, in spite of demons, in spite of evil spirits, we have a promise of God that cannot be broken. How many know no matter what the devil tries to do with to you, you belong to God, and if you are sealed by the Holy Spirit, how many know there's nothing the devil can do to you? Nevertheless, the solid foundation of God stands having this seal. What is the seal? The Lord knows those who are his, and let everyone who names the name of Christ depart from iniquity. In other words, God knows who is his. And God has put a seal of the Holy Spirit upon those who belong to him. Aren't you glad that you belong to God? The word seal there means to be signet, to have, been, to have a signet put on you, which is a stamp of ownership, which is a stamp of his possession. How many are thankful that you, that you have the stamp of his possession on your life? I, when I got saved, God marked me. He put his seal on my life through the Holy Spirit. And that Holy Spirit is allowing me today to be salt and light in the earth. It's allowing me to have the image of my Father and to be Christ-like. 
So we belong to God. It means to be, uh, it means to be, to have the inscription of on. In other words, to have your name on. I'm telling you, God has put his name on us through redemption. And so we are been possessed by God. We are his possession. We are his church today. I don't think we really understand how powerful that is because we are the bride of Christ. We belong to God. And you know God is going to protect his bride. We are his possession. And so to have the seal means to be the possession to be to be the possession of God. It means to be protected by God. We're protected by the gift of the Holy Spirit. How are we how are we protected by the gift of the Holy Spirit? We're protected because the Holy Spirit has sealed us in the sense that the Holy Spirit what? He leads us. He guides us, right? He instructs us. We are sealed. We belong to God. We have a seal. And then there's the preservation of God. God's, you know, what is God's preservation in our life? His preservation in our life is the process of his sanctification in our life. As God works in our life, as we begin to yield our life in holiness and purity to God through sanctification, we become preserved by God. There's a protection that comes in our sanctification as you pursue holiness, as I pursue holiness, as we pursue the holiness of God, there is a preservation that comes over our lives. There's a seal and protection that comes on your life. Do you realize that walking in purity is a protection over your life? It's God's protection. I'm telling you, when I got saved, I made a decision that there were certain things I would not engage my life in. And by that decision, the Holy Spirit put a seal on me. He would not let the enemy you know, pull me away from the things of God because I, I pursued God and there was a protection and a preservation that came on my life. I'm thankful for the preservation of God that is on my life. And what we see in these 144,000, we will see that God has put a seal on them to protect them. And they were unscathed through uh, this period of tribulation. I guarantee you the Antichrist came at them and tried, probably tried to burn them, drown them, tried to, tried to, 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 bring, to destroy them, torture them, and he could not do it. Just like Daniel in the lion's den was protected by God. He was sealed by God. And protected by God. This 144,000 are going to walk under the protective seal of God. And in that protective seal, they will not be able to be martyred. They will not be able to be drowned. They will not be able to be tortured. They will not be able to be burned. But they will be witnesses to the gospel of Jesus Christ in the midst of the tribulation. And out of that will become salvation. They are selected and they are sealed. <coughs> And God has a special job for them, they, they, and, and he will keep them safe. The seal, will be, it may be a literal mark upon them, and it may be just the mark on their minds. And uh, uh, we know in Revelation 14.1, the Bible says the Father has put, a, has put his name on them, on their foreheads, and we don't know if that's a literal or if that's really in their mind. Um, but let me tell you, there's a difference between the, 
between our faith and this world. You remember the Antichrist gives a number, right? He marks them with 666, but Jesus gives us a name. I mean, I'd rather have a name, the name of God than to, be, than to have the mark of this world. Yeah. Amen? How many would rather have the seal of God on your life than to have the mark of this world? I would rather have the treasures in heaven than treasures of this earth. And so there is a mark that is on them. They are marked they, and they are, they are selected. They have been sealed. And thirdly, uh, it tells us that they are servants. Thirdly, they are servants. Verse 3 tells us, uh, do not harm the earth, the sea, or the trees until we have sealed the servants of our God on their foreheads. And so this 144,000 will be servants. They were going to be going about uh, preaching the gospel. They are sealed. They are saved. Uh, they represent God's the government of God upon the earth and will preach the gospel of the Lord. They will be evangelists is who they were, will be. They will be 144,000, as I mentioned before, just like the apostle Paul. I mean, can you imagine? And there's nothing this world can do to them. The hostility of this world will not be able to wipe them out, will not be able to shut them up, will not be able to destroy them. It'll be un, an unfiltered preaching of the gospel all the time. And it, wouldn't that be awesome? And there'll be nothing that nobody can do about it. And so there's going to be this outpouring of God's government and God's outpouring on the earth that we will see and they will preach the Lord Jesus Christ and they will be evangelists. The apostle Paul was saved. It's an inter- there's an interesting scripture in 1 Timothy chapter 1, verse 16. Turn there. I want you to see this. Uh, many scholars are, have been kind of... Uh, puzzled by this passage of scripture, and there's, there's many interpretations of it, but in 1 Timothy chapter 1 and verse 16, I want to read the scripture. The apostle Paul here talks about um, he was saved for a pattern for a select group. It's interesting how this is worded. Look at verse 16 of 1 Timothy chapter 1. It says, however, for, for this reason, I obtain mercy that in me first Jesus Christ might show all long-suffering. In other words, that Jesus might build into me patience. And Paul said that what Jesus is building in me, he is building, look what it says, a a show of all long-suffering as a pattern to those who are going to believe on him for everlasting. What is Paul saying here? Paul is saying my life is a pattern, is going to be a pattern for those and some of those. And I got to thinking about this. The Apostle Paul's life is is not a pattern for me because the Apostle Paul, when you think about his conversion, the Apostle Paul was a blasphemer. The Apostle Paul was had an anti-Christ spirit towards Jesus and and his believers. He put Christians to death. He was totally anti-Christ, um, um, and so he, he, he persecuted the church. And so what is this tribulation period? This tribulation period is this outpouring of persecution on the church that we see, and we see Paul said that my life has been a pattern for those, uh, for those who... Uh, 
uh, to believe on him for everlasting life. In other words, Paul says, my life is an example for those in the future who will look to my life and see my life as a pattern for the believer, as a pattern for the Jews who were in unbelief. Now listen, this 144,000 that went into the tribulation, they too were antichrist. In the beginning of the tribulation, the reason that they, were, they had missed the rapture and had gone into the tribulation period was because what? Because they too were blasphemous toward God. They too had an antichrist spirit. They too uh, did not recognize Jesus as the Messiah and as the Christ. And so they too, similar to Paul, now they've come down and they have believed and have been sealed by God to preach the gospel. And just like the Apostle Paul, they are a pattern of the Apostle Paul. They are just like the Apostle Paul in their preaching. And now this 144,000 is now going to the nations and preaching the gospel. I find it interesting other nations have been absorbed and destroyed, but not the Jewish people. Israel will never be destroyed. They can never be wiped off the face of the earth. The scripture is being fulfilled. God prophesied in the Bible that Israel would be disobedient. Israel would be dispersed. They'd be discredited, but they would never be destroyed. Look at Jeremiah chapter 31. I love this passage of scripture. Jeremiah chapter 31. Jeremiah 31 and beginning in verse 35 through 37. Pardon me if I go fast. But Jeremiah 31, verse 35 says, Thus saith the Lord, who gives the sun for a light by day and ordinances of the moon and the stars for light by night, who disturbs the sea and its waves roar, the Lord of hosts and his name. If those ordinances depart from before me, says the Lord, then the seed of Israel shall also cease from being a nation before me forever. What is God saying here? God is telling us this. God says that the nation of Israel will remain as long as the stars and the moon and the oceans and the earth has its boundaries, so shall Israel always exist. When you see these things being departed from, when you see these ordinances departed from before me, says the Lord, then the seed of Israel shall also cease. How many know God is a mighty God and there's no one who can disrupt the world and all that he's created? That tells us that there's no one who can wipe out the nation of Israel. They shall remain forever and ever. In order to destroy Israel, you must first have to destroy the power that regulates the universe. God keeps his word. And so God, God, God made a promise to Abraham that all the nations of the world would be blessed through him. And so we see now that promise being fulfilled in the great tribulation when the 144,000 Jews will preach the gospel to all the earth and and there, there will be a great harvest of souls. Not, listen, not one promise of God will ever fail. If God has given us a promise in his word, we can be sure of that promise. You, we can be sure that God will keep it. God will keep his promises concerning Israel and God will keep his promises concerning us. And so we understand 
that there's no promise too hard for God to keep. Number two, I want us to see in this. I want us to see there is no person too hard for God to save. I want to say that again to some of you who are praying for somebody, waiting for God to do something transformative in their life. How many of y'all got love, lost loved ones that you're praying for? How many believe God can touch them? How many know there's no person too hard for God to save? This passage depicts a great multitudes of millions and possibly billions coming to Christ because of the witness of the 144,000. Let's go back to Revelation chapter 7, and let's look at verses 9 and begin reading there. I want you to see something as we read this passage. After these things, now when you see this term, after these things, I told you in the beginning of this study, what we see is God is now giving John a fresh vision, a new vision. And so after these things, after the sealing of the 144,000, God now takes John and he says, I looked and behold a great multitude with no one could number of all nations, tribes and peoples and tongues standing before the throne and before the lamb clothed with white robes, with palm branches in their hands and crying out with a loud voice saying, salvation belongs to our God who sits on the throne and to the lamb. All the angels stood around the throne and the elders with the four and living creatures fell on their faces before the throne and worshiped God saying, amen, blessing and glory and wisdom, thanksgiving and honor and power and might be to our God forever and forever. And look down to verse 13. It said, then one of the elders saying to me, who are these arrayed in white robes and where did they come from? And I said to him, Sir, you know. So he said to me, these are the ones who come out of the great tribulation, washed their robes and made them white in the blood of the lamb. Who are these? These are martyrs that were saved by the preaching of the 144,000. In the midst of the tribulation, in the midst of judgment, of the opening of the seven seals, there's going to be a pause. And in that silent pause, all of a sudden, God's going to seal 144,000 of the tribe of Israel. Now, we know that nowadays, the 144,000, they are not an organized tribe now, uh, but God will know who they are. God will know which ones they are. And these are those who are being saved during the tribulation period. And because of the climate of the tribulation, listen, the church will be gone. The church will have been raptured out. And someone will have to explain why millions are suddenly gone. And I believe that because of, of the atmosphere of the earth, because of what people have experienced, because of, of, you know, there will be those who will say that the remnant of God has been taken out of the earth and they will realize that they've been left. They will realize that they've been left behind. And the Antichrist will come and pervert a lie. Confusion and conviction will come when the church is raptured. False security will be taken away. And Revelation speaks of war and famine and calamities and beheadings. Disasters will take place during the Great Tribulation. And the world will be incredibly chaotic. People will pay attention to these 144,000 evangelists who have been sealed and the Antichrist can't kill. 
and, and they will see. You know, Acts chapter 2, 20 and 21 says uh, uh, that there will be anyone whosoever calls upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. And you know, as I was thinking about this, there are those today that are ignoring the preaching of the gospel. There's an apathy in their life. They really are not listening to the truth. You know what I thought about? I thought about when I get on an airline plane. How many of y'all have been on the plane? And as you're on the plane and you're waiting for the plane to take off, the stewardess comes up and she begins to give you instruction in case the plane goes down, right? She shows you how to tighten your seatbelt. Then she shows you how if, if, there's, uh, uh, if the, uh, cat, if the uh, fuselage is all of a sudden uh, air is gone and the oxygen uh, things come down. They teach you how to put your oxygen mask on and she goes through all of that, how to pull out your flotation device and all of that. And I want to tell you, I have never listened to a stewardess, right? But I want to tell you that if, a, if an airline pilot got on there and said, we're going, to get a, we're going to hit the water in about 15 minutes, I guarantee you I'd be taking that card and looking through that card and figuring out how I'm going to, to survive this thing, right? And that's kind of how it's been. There is a world that is in chaos, and the 144,000 now are preaching the gospel. They have watched the world go in chaos, the church be raptured, Now their hearts are ready, and what's happening is the 144,000 are leading one of the greatest revivals that the earth will ever see. In the midst of the devil's playground, God is showing forth his power and his anointing. Isn't that just like God? To right in the middle of the devil's chaos for God to show up and show how mighty he is. I mean, that is great hope. That shows us that God even has compassion even to those that have mocked him, that have turned from him, that have once blasphemed his name. Now God opens up and shows his power on the earth again and his goodness and mercy through the preaching of this 144,000. And we begin to see this outpouring of this 144,000. And so... It's amazing to me. As I got to thinking about it, um, you know, there is uh, someone had asked the question last week to me when I got to this chapter. If you'll notice, there are two tribes that are missing out of the 12 tribes, that each of the tribes have 12,000 that are sealed. But there are two tribes that are not even mentioned. It's Dan and Ephraim are two tribes that are not even mentioned. Uh, that there is, there is, there's not, there will not be a twelve thousand that comes out of their tribe. They're not even mentioned, and and I got the researching this week and trying to figure out why is that, God? Why is why is the tribe of Dan and the tribe of Ephraim not mentioned in these passages? Where are they and where have they been? And why do we not see uh, them mentioned in this group or among this group? Well, as I begin to study and you begin to research, you have to go back to Scripture and looking at Scripture. And many of the commentators that I read came up with one of two different uh, answers to this. One is, is that Dan and Ephraim were always two tribes that led Israel into idolatry. 
They were two tribes that were always leading Israel into idolatry. So some scholars believe that they are missing from the list because they may too be the instigators of initiating the Antichrist as the Messiah. Just as in past in the Old Testament, they were leading the children of Israel into idolatry. They were the tribes that led the charge into idolatry. Some scholars believe that many of the tribe of Dan would be those that would be susceptible to the, the Antichrist and be quick to crown him as the Messiah and, had be, and be absorbed into, into the nations again. I thought that was an interesting thought that they were not mentioned and that we do not see them in the midst of the tribulation. And we do not see them here. We do not see them in the redemption pattern. But when we begin to look at this and we begin to see this in these verses of, uh, from verses 9 through verse 11, and we see these that have been saved, and it says uh, these have been saved by the blood of the, of, of the Lord Jesus and Revelation 7, and it, says, it gives us two descriptions of them. One, it says that they are waving palm branches. Palm branches were used in the Feast of the Tabernacle, and they were symbols of joy. They were the symbols of joy. And they were wearing white robes dipped in red. And so it means this. These were those that were more likely beheaded and more likely persecuted and had to die a persecution's death in order for their faith. In other words, they didn't take the mark of the beast or they would not fall in the line of the Antichrist. And so because of that, because they began to confess Christ, they lost their lives by confessing Jesus. And so in verse 11 and 12, what we see is we see the praising, we see that these angels break out into worship. And we see around the throne, these angels break into worship, praising God for all he's done and his grace and his grace for us and through the tribulation. The tribulation saints were martyred. They refused the mark of the beast. Many may think they, they had postponed their salvation until the, until the great tribulation where they got saved. Um, uh, you know, I hear people say all the time, I've witnessed the people and say, well, if the rapture happens and they miss, I'll just wait till then to accept Jesus. Well, I want to tell you that won't be wise approach for a couple reasons. Number one, you might die. You might die prior to the great tribulation. Two, uh, if you make it to the great tribulation, um, you probably still will not believe on the Lord Jesus Christ uh, during this period. And so there'll be those who I believe who continue to refuse the truth and refuse the truth prior to the great tribulation. I believe this is my personal belief. I believe those who have rejected Christ leading into the great tribulation, uh, who lived after the rapture of the church, I don't believe, I believe that they will be given over to a strong delusion and believe the lie. The second Thessalonians two verses 11 and 12 tells us that there'll be a strong delusion that'll be released and these will believe the lie who have believed the lie and denied the truth. I believe that if they go into the great tribulation and have denied Jesus, that they won't be able to live for Jesus then. Listen, if you can't live for Jesus now, 
when there's grace and there's the help of his Holy Spirit and there's the power of his anointing to live for Christ now, what makes you think when the Holy Spirit has left this earth and no longer convicts of sin and no longer guides and leads and protects, what makes you think that you'll have the strength to live for him then? People won't. And so, uh, and so they will miss out in living. And so they'll, they'll, they'll have to die for their faith then. And it, 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 it confuses it. Why would you want to go into the tribulation and take the risk of, of finding God then and die for your faith when you can find the joy in living for him now? We can, you will miss all the joy of knowing the Lord Jesus in this present time. Let's get right with Jesus, which means you can live for him now in his presence and his goodness. And so we must understand that there's no one that's too hard for God to save. Number three, and this is the last one tonight, there is no problem too hard for God to solve. Can I tell you there's no problem too hard for God to solve? Look at verse 15. It says, therefore, they are before the throne of God and serve him day and night in his temple. And he who sits on the throne will dwell among them. They shall neither hunger anymore nor thirst anymore. The sun, the sun shall not strike them nor any heat. For the lamb who is in the midst of the throne will shepherd them and lead them to living fountains of water. And God will wipe away every tear from their eye. Isn't that a great promise from God? that every tear will be wiped away. God may not be working the way that you would want him to work, but listen, our thoughts are not God's thoughts, and God's thoughts are different than ours. And the truth is, we don't all have it figured out. Jesus did not promise that we would go through this world unscathed with no problems. We all have problems, saved and unsaved alike. Would you all agree? But how many know God will turn our tears into pearls? Our hurts into hallelujahs and our storms, he will build a rainbow, an arch of rainbow of promise over our lives. God has an answer. And the question is, we live in an hour and a day and what do we say? What do we say to heartache today? What do we say to to pain in our world today? What do we say to a world that is grieving and hurting today and going through trial and tribulation today? And we know this, that these monumental troubles, you know, I, I, as a pastor, I often find it hard at times to find words to bring comfort to people that are going through very difficult times. We all do, right? We all sometimes don't know what to say to people that are going through very traumatic times in their life. What do you say to a parents that are over, that are standing at the grave of their child? What do you say to parents that have, have that kind of loss? What do you say to them? What do you say to a spouse who had walked for 50 or 60 years with their spouse as they are burying them? and saying goodbye to them. What do you say to that spouse and they have died? What do you say to someone who is out of work, a man who's out of work and has lost his job and can't provide for his family 
and feels ashamed that he can't find work and can't provide. You know, what, what do you say? What do you say to those that are being in, in the world that are, that are going through so much? And we have to understand this. There's coming a day when our Lord will heal every hurt and wipe away every tear. I, you know what I say to these? I say to these monumental troubles, uh, these are not God's final plans. I often say sometimes at the gravesite of, of saints, I say Jesus came to the tomb of Lazarus and the Bible says Jesus wept. And I've read many things on people describing why Jesus wept and why he wept, but I believe the Holy Spirit spoke to me one day. It's a comfort to me. I don't know if it's a comfort to anybody else, but it's a comfort to me of why Jesus wept. And the Holy Spirit said to me, the reason Jesus wept was because Jesus recognized that in the death of his friend Lazarus, that this is not the world that he created. And he wept over what sin can do to us. Because the, the law of sin and death has been released in our life. We're all, we're all in the process of dying. You all know that, right? The law of sin and death works in us. But, God, but that's not God's final plan. How many know God's final plan is heaven? How many know God's final plan is resurrection? How many know that we, we the Bible says, be, be ye not ignorant, brethren, about these who are who asleep? Because how many know there's a resurrection day? when Jesus will come and resurrect us all and we will have new bodies and he will, he will wipe away every tear. And you say, well, preacher, pastor, that's pie in the sky. Well, I like pie. <laughs> I'll just be honest with you. I like pie. The promise that God, there is no promise God can't keep. There is no person that God cannot save and there is no problem that God can't solve then why are there so many unsaved people? Why are there so many unsaved people? I'll tell you why. Because of unbelief. That's not God's problem. It's ours if we choose not to believe. The Bible said in Matthew 13 that Jesus could do no mighty work in the city of Nazareth because of their unbelief. You know, I heard the story of this family that owned an expensive vase and their little girl put her hand in the middle of that expensive vase and she couldn't get her hand out. And so they tried to put cooking oil on it and pull her hand out. They tried to, all these things to pull her hand out and they couldn't pull her hand out. So they end up having to break this expensive vase. And when they broke the vase, they realized that the little girl had her hand in a fist. And when they unclutched her hand, she had a penny in it. And she released her hand in the penny and she could pull her hand out of the top of the jar. If she had just released what she had in her hand, she would have been able to pull her, her hand out. And they said, honey, why did you not release the penny and pull your hand out? She said, because I didn't want to lose my penny. And it reminded me of this. There are so many people who cling on the things that are not that important. And they cling on the things. And they hang on the things. They keep their fists tight. 
and they never lose or let go and cling on the foolish things instead of just releasing and letting God take care of them. Stand with me if you would tonight as we close in a prayer. Maybe you're here tonight and maybe you need prayer. But I I want to remind you that there's no promise that God cannot keep. There's no promise in this word that he cannot keep. I want you to know tonight that there's no person that God cannot save. God is redemptive. And I want you to know there's no problem God can't solve. In the midst of the tribulation, God poured out His power and His anointing. I've often heard people ask the question, why, you know, why is that right there in the middle of that? Here God is pouring out in the middle of the tribulation. He's pouring out these seven seals and all of a sudden right in the middle of it, there's this break and all of a sudden there's this incredible revival And all of a sudden, people are coming to Jesus. You know what? If God could do it then, when the Holy Spirit has left the earth, I can tell you God can do it now while the Holy Spirit's still here. Y'all believe that? Y'all believe God can revive us again? You believe God can save today? God can pour out today? I'm telling you, God, there's nobody that God cannot save. There's a harvest that needs to be gathered in this city. There's a harvest of our family. There's the harvest of the lost, of knowing Jesus. There's no person God can't save. There's no promise that he can't keep. And there's no problem he can't solve. And I don't know what category you fall into tonight. I want to tell you, I have loved ones that I grieve over that are lost, family members, that I know that if they died tonight, that if they died tonight, they would not go to heaven. And that's grieving. That's hard. It's hard to handle, isn't it? I mean, it's hard. It's, it's hard in our, to, to think. I'm going to close with this little short story. And I usually don't share... Well, let's just put it this way. I know an individual whose father was dying. He had been given opportunities several times to receive Jesus, but every time reject and not do it. He was on his deathbed, and they called the priest in to do his last rites. And he was on his deathbed. In the middle of being on his deathbed, He was having these experiences. He reached up in the midst of dying and grabbed his daughter by the shirt of her blouse and pulled her to him and said, help me, help me. Terror was on his face. She didn't know what to do. She didn't know the Lord. She didn't know if he was experiencing something in the natural, whether it was pain You know, he was dying of cancer, so he had morphine all in him. He's like, help me, help me, help me. Do something for me. And she didn't know what to do. She didn't understand what was happening to him. 
And as the priests showed up and began to do last rites, I don't know if you're familiar with last rites, but what happens is a priest goes through and he puts anointing oil on the very, he anoints the body, he anoints the hands, the feet, the head. It's a representative of where Jesus was wounded. He anoints those. those. So the priest went through and put oil on his hands. And when he did, he kept flicking his hands like, get this off, get this off. It's like fire. It's like fire. It's like fire. And the priest couldn't finish his last rites because he began to thrash in his bed. He began to thrash in his bed. And he kept saying, it's fire, it's fire, it's fire. And when he died, he had this look of terror on his face. His family member said, I've never seen anything like it. It was the most unpeaceful death I've ever seen or heard of. I'm telling you, I've known people that have saw loved ones come and receive them as they laid on their deathbed from heaven. Debbie tells the story that Vanjie looked over behind Mary as she was sitting there and saw Ronnie and saw Ron right before, not long before she passed. You know, I believe there are portals of heaven that open up. And I believe that when people get close to death, I believe they experience those things. I believe God gives them a glimpse of what's coming. It may be the grace of God that helps people be prepared to make sure that they're ready. You know what I mean? And sometimes I believe it's opportunity to choose. Some can choose to stay or choose to go. Who knows? But I've, I've been around many families that have had those experiences. Truth is, eternity is real. We have to start preaching a real gospel and people coming to Christ. You know, we had a lady get saved here Sunday morning. Gerald, Gerald Gray's cousin gave her heart to the Lord here Sunday morning. Isn't it amazing? She, she came for healing. She came to be prayed for for emotional healing and end up, ended up giving her life to the Lord. Isn't that wonderful? I mean, that's what the God, if there was anything that we did on Sunday. Listen, you don't have to have legs grow back and eyes open and ears open to declare a miracle. I want to tell you salvation is the greatest miracle that can be seen on the earth. That's the greatest miracle. Her, and it wonderful, her name is Angel. Isn't that a beautiful name? What a wonderful name. How prophetic is that? What a wonderful thing. My heart just jumped when, when Laura was telling me that she had the opportunity to pray with her and lead her to the Lord. I mean, God is good, y'all. God is good. 2021. 2021, W-O-N. How many know Jesus has already won the victory? There is victory already. We don't have to pray for victory. He's given us victory. We just got to live on mission. And as we live on mission, there's victory that comes. Father, thank you for your salvation. We thank you, God, for your word. As we do this Bible study, God, we know that, Lord, we're just going through and God, we're just absorbing what your word says. God, we know that there's nothing that you cannot do. And so, God, we leave tonight with that promise in our heart. 
There's nothing you can't do. There's no heart that you can't save. There's no problem you can't solve. And God, we know that everything is in your hands. We pray for the lost souls of Madison tonight. We pray for every lost soul that they would come to Jesus. Let us preach Jesus and the gospel. We thank you, God. We pray for every family that's here tonight that the blessing of God would be with them. And we thank you for the hope that we have in Christ. It's in Jesus' name we pray. And everybody say, Thank said, you for joining us for River Valley Community Church's podcast. If you feel led to give, you can click on the donation link in the description or visit our website at rivervalleymadison.com. If you've enjoyed the podcast, you can subscribe or share with your friends. Thanks again for listening. God bless you.